Hello again, everybody. This is James Bartley, and you're watching and listening to the Cosmic Switchboard Show. Today, but my very special guest is Andrea Folks. Uh, Andrea is a past life regressionist, ancestral healing, inner child healing, spirit release, Akashic Records, Ascension 2022, star lineages. These are the things she does. Uh, light language codes and activations. Uh, and and Andrea Folks is a visionary intuitive and a founder of soul freedom therapy. And she was the past life regression expert on the UK TV show uh, on ITV called this morning. So you've got quite a resume. You've got quite a story to tell Andrea and uh, you know, without any further ado, welcome to the cosmic switchboard show. Thank you, James. It's gorgeous to connect with you. And I'm already excited because I, you know, I've only just learned a little bit about you, but it's it's fascinating. The other wonderful people that you've had on as guests who I admire their work and I think they're amazing. So and I am super interested by your story of what happened to you as well. Yeah, thank you, uh, Andrea. And one of the things that I'm really interested in, and I definitely want to get into the, the past life uh, information later because that to me it's key uh because i think the way my simple mind works uh these are past parallel lives it's not just that it's something that happened in, in the linear past time wise it's just offset from us frequency wise but it's still in parallel and still has a fundamental connection to the here and now you know to me it's the eternal now uh, as far as past present and future is concerned so we'll, we'll get to that but what i've always been interested in andrea is is one's voyage of discovery the origin story how did you andrea come to be the person you are uh and your ability to help so many people and how did these gifts be, be, begin to manifest themselves so the floor is yours yeah well I mean, as a child, I think like a lot of people, we had mystical experiences and then they get shut down and we just forget, you know, and, and, and the only real memories I have as a child from being quite young is at night, I do have a very, it's a very small memory of disappearing out into the cosmos and the universe through the corner of my bedroom, you know, ceiling. I just remember that. But I was an only child, didn't have anybody to talk about these experiences with. I always felt a little bit um, sort of slightly different than the other children. But then I was the only child of older parents. So that sort of maybe set me a little bit apart in some ways. But I was always very kind and benevolent to other children. And I, I was always like recoiling in a horror at some children's behavior. You know, if they were fighting or being mean or horrible to other children, I always struggled with that. But I was also very good at sort of spending time on my own. But I always wanted to be kind to other children and, and be benevolent towards them. And maybe I as I got a bit older and I seemed to have a maybe a wisdom beyond my years or a sensibleness in certain areas of my life that the other children didn't seem to have and I also had within that being sensible I also had like an intuitive knowledge and wisdom or insight about things but would I have that time call myself intuitive no it wasn't till I got to my late 20s and I was living in the center of London I, and it's like you know synchronistic events what was it what was it and I think I met this lady who used to go to the gym where I went and she was like oh I've got to go I've got to go and I was like where are you going and she went oh I'm going to do an astrology course at the College of Psychic Studies in London and I was like that sounds great that was the end of it and then you know I'd see her every week and she'd be dashing off to go to do this course and eventually she said well why don't you go and I was like yeah yeah I should and then it took a year for me to actually go to this college and when I got there I said you know I want to sign up for the astrology course and they were like it's fully booked we've got a psychometry course that's all we've got for next Saturday I was like what is that and they were like that's where you hold jewelry on it inanimate objects about other people and you pick up information I was like I'll do it I'll take it you know so I, I signed up for this psychometry it was a one-day workshop I was blown away because I didn't know anybody in the group and these people we were just sharing objects that we brought with us you know predominantly jewelry and these people knew all about me from this jewelry but what blew me my mind even more was that I was really accurate about the information 
about these people from their objects and jewelry, but I seem to be more accurate than the rest of the group. So um, that blew my mind. And then I met a friend of mine because it's all this, it's all about synchronicity lining up. So a friend of mine, because I was modeling and sort of worked it within that realm, um, she said, oh, I've just been for this amazing psychic reading with this guy. And I was like, wow, what's his name? And she told me. And I said, wow, I've been copying his name into the back of my diary for the last 11 years. This is a sign. I must go and see this guy, especially as I've been on this psychometry workshop. So I go to see this guy and he's like, you've been in a development class. And at that point, I then signed up for a development class at this College of Psychic Studies. But I didn't like the teacher as much as I liked the day workshop teacher so he said you've been where they haven't realized your true potential this is going to be your path I'm like listen I don't think so I don't, I don't think this is going to be my path he's like yeah yeah you need to come and join this group of psychics who meet every week I'm going to tell them you're coming so he signed me up for this development class with these other people that were maybe a little bit more advanced and so when I talked to these people they were like yeah we've been in this development circle for seven years and then you know as you're doing these things which are you know by our standards like the school of Hogwarts you know you're learning all these things and you're learning to you know do guided meditations connect with your energies connect with the other people so it really was a psychic development classes every week but very quickly I was like top of the class top of Hogwarts they were saying you could do this for a living and I was like yeah I don't I don't really think so and then just through all of this happening stuff started to happen outside of the class for me you know I was starting to do things like this over myself over my bed at home and then the channeled messages were coming in and by by that point I everything was lining up that that's the thing I think a lot of people start to realize is the synchronicity of things lining up so I had someone I was modeling for their brand and the, the designer for that brand. She was also spiritually waking up. So we would talk about these things, you know, when I would be there and she'd be designing the clothes. And so all this would be going on. And then she'd say, wow, I know someone who does psychometry, too. Maybe you should go and see this lady. So I go to see this other lady. I go there at about three o'clock in the afternoon. I come out of this lady's house about four o'clock in the afternoon. And somehow she'd activated something in me. And it was the first time also I saw someone do transfiguration, which is where your face changes. And she turned into this really wise Chinese man who was spouting all this stuff for hours. And the only sentence I could remember was, you are your mother's daughter, but you don't carry her afflictions. And then I was going home on the train back to London from where this lady lived about three or four in the morning. And somebody on the train came towards me and said, oh, uh, I need some money to make a phone call. Bear in mind, this is quite a few years ago. So this is like 20, 22 years ago, uh, around that time. So I'm like, oh, okay, would well, you not just want to use my phone? And he's like, no, no, I need some money to make a phone call. I was like, okay, you know, bear in mind, this is like three or four in the morning. And um, I said, why, why, how come you've not got to, you know, I was asking him questions. And he said, oh, I've just come out of prison. I was like, okay. And so I'm having this, you know, bizarre conversation on the train with this guy. And I happened to look at the other people in the carriage and nobody's looking at us having this conversation, which I think is strange in itself because it's, it's a random conversation. And then I give him the money, but I give him more than he asked for. And then he gets up and he stands near where the door is. And he, he sort of speaks over to me and he says, you've done a good thing and the universe will pay it forward. And I went, yeah, that's how it works. And he went, yeah. And I just looked down and I looked up and he'd gone, but the train hadn't stopped. You know, so he just he just disappeared. So and then I got this message, which is the first message that I ever got, which I put inside my meditation CD, which it said was the message that I got right there. And then was the prophets in their divine wisdom spoke of the purest light that we might one day all see the light that leads the way to a brighter future. And I knew from seeing this lady that she'd got channelings. But by then I was pretty evolved by that point because I was already um, 
you know, levitating off my bed, doing these rewirings. It was like colors coming in and I was already getting this message. You need to not work now. You need to not work for three months. I was like, do you know how expensive this rent is where I live? And they're like, trust, 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 trust. And somehow I have the ability to trust and these messages from these very benevolent beings that I was getting, I was just trusting what they were telling me. And I was living in a very high state. And then after that kind of 9-11 was happening, it was all around that time. And everything they were telling me in these channel messages, some of them were giving me mathematical equations and telling me these were the mathematical equations for the elixir of life. I mean, these were things I had no capacity to understand even what I was channeling, that the information that I was getting was way beyond my personality's ability to decipher it but everything they were telling me was you're gonna have to stand on a very big soapbox for what you believe in and speak the truth as you know it to be so around the time of 9-11 all these channelings were coming in I had a book in the house called The Psychic Detective that a friend had gifted to me and I was like, I can't just sit here with all these channelings about world events and not do anything about it. So I opened this book and, and this was what was happening to me. It was like I'd be told something and then I'd open a book or be told to go somewhere or, or, or go and do something. And somebody would show up and they'd tell me someone was going to show up or a message would be given to me. And it was exactly what I'd been told like hours or days before. So everything was like lining up in an amazing lineup of energy and this rewiring of my energy. And I was starting to vibrate on a very, very high frequency by that time. And I felt like my body was almost losing physical density at some points. But I ended up on another show because digressing slightly. So I ring the, the head of the spiritualist church in the UK in my total naivety. And I'm like, hi, I've just been getting all these channel messages about world events and things. And um, he said, oh, it's so funny. You should call. But I just had this TV show on the phone wanting a psychic to go on. And in the UK, we had this show called Kilroy, um, which we don't have anymore. So within 24 hours, I'm on this show called Kilroy talking about being psychic and and, but I never talked about my channeling because I talked about what it was like to model and be psychic and get all this stuff. So I went on this show and again, I was being told you're going to have to stand on a very big soapbox for what you believe in. And by then I could start to see people's past lives. I could literally be in a coffee shop and download the whole of someone's emotional. I think my thing has really been about understanding people, the origin of people's emotional trauma. That's why when I say I do the Akashic Records, I say that I do the emotional Akashic Records, because I think we all have, a, a, within our spectrum of skills and gifts, we all have things we're stronger at than others. And mine is just an inner knowing, an absolute knowing of truth. I don't necessarily physically see people appearing in my Vision, but I could have my eyes open but within my mind I can see what something looks like but I don't see it physically in the physical form so all this stuff was happening for me and then I thought well you know it's all very well and good me seeing people's past lives and you know being able to download the origin of their whole life history just stood there sometimes and it was overwhelming at times um but I was trusting to this whole thing, you're going to have to stand on a very big soapbox. So after I'd been on this initial Kilroy show, I thought I need to learn regression hypnotherapy. So I learned regression hypnotherapy to regress people into past lives. And because I worked on QVC, the shopping channel, you know, I had loads of people to practice on who I didn't really know, but they were willing participants for me to either do readings on them or, you know, drag them off to my house to regress them, to practice my regression techniques. And then I was weaving between past lives, inner child, ancestral healing. And I knew how to do spirit releasement, but I really didn't want to do spirit releasement so much at that point in time. And then very quickly, 
it it shows you how your whole life is interconnected in a way because I'd been the model for a makeup brand and the lady who was linked to that was also one of the experts on this TV show called This Morning in the UK which is like Good Morning America and she rang me one day and she said you know do you want to go on uh, This Morning and regress the host of the show and I was like wow you know so that was December 2003 by that stage but by then I was already already seeing private clients, I'd already got clients, um, Aveda at the time, which was a company that was privately owned, um, which you know the brand Aveda, we used to sell their products on QVC and they said, oh, come and give talks and workshops in our stores. So I was giving talks and workshops in their stores. I was vibrating so highly, everything was love, literally everything. Like every, I was in this state of absolute grace and peace for probably quite a few years really I stayed in this really high high frequency space of being so I regressed the host of the show we show this VT footage in January 2004 and literally you could hear a pin drop from the minute we showed this footage and they gave me probably quite a lot of the show and they probably thought this is amazing because the hosts of the show were crying and were not people who were you know wanting to pander to past life regression you know they really were a bit skeptical about it and literally from doing that the producers from the Wednesday show said can you come back every week and I was like yes and literally my life changed overnight and then they said you know can we can you do this until we make you your own show which literally was about a year and then I did two series that ITV in the UK commissioned of my own show called Have I Been Here Before which was taking celebrities back to past lives but when I was doing this other show called This Morning it was focusing more on members of the public which I loved because I wanted to show the healing aspects of regression but you know everything that they told me like you're going to have to stand on a, a big soapbox for what you believe in and speak your truth as you know it to be you know from embodying that and trusting trusting was the big thing trusting and being fearless and just from these experiences of this inner world and this euphoria and the experiences I was having I did trust I did have some scary experiences which I think people would describe you know that they say it's when you feel like you've been dragged out of your physical body but even in those experiences even though it was scary and I would see things flying around my house at the time, just for a very small period of time, because after I'd done this other TV show, some of the people from a, another country <laughs> did contact me who said that they were prophets in their country and they wanted to meet me. And this is where it became a bit like a Celestine prophecy. And I started to feel a little bit ill linked to these people and unluckily because I was still fairly new to this and opening up there was um a Hawaiian lady who was a friend of a friend of mine and uh she was a, a kahuna lady and she helped me to bring my energy back in and she could see what these men were trying to do and um it was quite in some ways, I've never really publicly spoken about this. So this is the first time I'm going to say this. I'm not going to name the country. But at the time, these guys were ringing me every week from seeing me on this show. Um, but this was from this show I'd done in 2003. So this was before I did This Morning in 2004. So these guys were saying, you know, we want to meet you. And I was like, yeah, if you're in the UK, we could meet. No worries. And I was acting a bit blonde and fluffy. And um, but the truth of it is they probably could read my energy. They could read who I was. They could read what potential I had. And they could also read that I was quite naive at that time. And I think this happens for a lot of people. People can see your light and see who you are and see what your gifts are. And they can almost read the timelines and read what your potential is and what you might be able to do. So these these people then said they were coming to the UK and the kahuna lady was saying, I'll help you reclaim your energy, which she did. And they'd sent someone who worked for their, their organization to meet me. 
And they wanted me to go to somewhere in the Middle East to, to meet them and some very powerful, influential people for some conference in the world. And um, I was like, but what would I need to do? And they're like, you just need to show up. And this didn't sit well with me. I was like, I'm not so sure about this. And uh, they did come to the UK. And it was interesting because the Kuna lady at the time said, I can stop them getting to the UK, but I can't stop them getting here completely. But it's up to you whether you want to meet these guys or not. I would say no, but it is obviously because we have free will. And when I spoke to them, they said, oh, the planes got stopped. I was like, oh, you know, so I knew she'd somehow affected that. And I said, but where would I meet you? You know, where are you going to be staying? And uh, they were said they were going to be staying in the embassy of the, the king of the country. Well, they were going to be staying in the king's house in the UK of the country that they were from. And I was like, and where would I meet you? And they were like, in the embassy. I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm so not doing this. And so I got out of the, the London and the M25. And I think they were remote viewing me at the time because all this ectoplasm was like floating around my flat. And they were quoting back my channelings that I'd been given to me about myself that I have to this day never shared with anybody. But they were almost telling me what was in my channelings. And they were telling me how many people held my vibration in the world. And they were saying they wanted to get all the people who held my vibration in the world together. Um, and I was like, okay. So I managed to, they did come to the UK and I managed to never meet them. And they, contacted me for nearly two years and the first time when I was getting out of where they obviously knew how to they weren't brilliant at remote viewing because they could obviously only do a certain radius and once I got out of the radius of the centre of London they couldn't remote view me anymore and but in that period of going from my house to the end of where they could probably tune into me, I was having to reclaim my energy back because I couldn't distinguish as I was driving between the windscreen wipers and the indicators. And I was having to reclaim all my energy back. So this is like 20 odd years ago. So, you know, I had this big experience. It taught me a lot, you know, a lot about owning your energy, about discernment, about integrity, which I think all all those things were really good things to hold me in good stead before I ended up, you know, a few years later on this TV show this morning. And then that was it, you know, doing past life regression every week on a mainstream terrestrial TV show. I was getting a thousand emails a day when it would go to air. And I really wasn't set up to deal with this level of you know, interest in what I was doing. I had to get an assistant to help me, someone to read the emails. It was really big. But the great thing about that incredible experience, which probably is quite unique, because I would imagine that most people who get into doing this work, it's a very slow, gradual journey of getting clients. And I'd done that for a few years. And then all of a sudden it was like all these people endless supplies of people to be able to regress and that was when I started to add in doing spirit releasement because of doing the tv work and that when we were airing these shows we were having researchers looking up the past lives of the people to see if these people had genuinely existed and from my perspective I'm not really caring whether they exist or not I care that by the process of regression can I help you heal emotional issues and in doing that maybe physical issues of disease or issues will be healed through this process but by adding in doing spirit releasement in a way that even the textbooks that I'd read on spirit releasement were limited that's what I found in my experience. I found they were limited and it wasn't helping me heal this person. And it wasn't helping because of these researchers every week being really critical of the past lives that we were filming people going back to. Um, I wanted that information to be as accurate as possible. And um, because people were looking at this, nobody was going, is this person healed by, by the information that they're coming up with? They were like, is this information actually accurate? Um, so that was bringing in the spirit releasement aspect because initially I wasn't doing that, but I, I did that in the end. And then that's, then I found other things 
going on with people by adding in the spirit releasement as well and how it was weaving in my own technique of, of doing it because everything I'd learned from these techniques I found worked but only worked to a certain degree and that's when I started just by pure experience of of regressing so many people for so many years you start to get better and better and better at something and you start to maybe have different experiences and I think also as you do whatever it is you do through the experience of something and the continuing development on yourself you gain greater compassion and empathy and wisdom which then you pay forward in how you negotiate those sessions with people the uh the spirit releasement aspect when you'd be working with these people how would the the, the spirit connection the attachments manifest themselves and i don't want to use the word typically but in a general sense how do these entities attach to these people is it a familial bloodline thing where they're just tracking certain generationally or is it a karmic thing where sometimes they have hooks into them from a past incarnation yeah it's 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 in my experience because all i have is my own experience is the the cohesion to entities is emotion it's emotion it's emotional deficit from somewhere in your timeline now they're not always coming they're not always attaching in this lifetime but they can do they can attach in the womb they can attach at any point in this lifetime they can attach ancestrally so they can be tracking and when I say tracking, they're tracking because you have an emotional deficit within that ancestral timeline. So when I say an emotional deficit, from my perspective, there's a, a, a lifetime of an ancestor or a secret that has never been emotionally cleared. So it's the trauma of the emotional issue that's never been resolved or spoken about. Even if they know the story, it's it's what it did to them. So, so it's what it did to them internally that passes through that lineage or the deception that we live in, the secrets of our ancestors that we carry, that we don't necessarily know the secrets of our ancestors. You know, because the way society has been, we've had to lie to survive. And then the other th the reason that entities attach is sometimes they're linked to. So that's that's your biological lineage. And then you've got the soul lineage, which is the past life lineage. So then I ask, you know, did you have you been attached? To, did you know this person in another lifetime? And they're like, sometimes no. And then I have to use my intuition to sense if they're lying. In general, they don't lie. Um in, it, it, but in the past life, what they've done is they either loved my client or hated my client. There's there's usually there's no wishy washy middle ground because middle ground won't get an entity attached. It's like they either loved them or they hated them. That's the past life ones. And then you ask, well, when my client died, uh, you know, how we how how have you reattached in this lifetime? And they go, oh, well, every time they reincarnate, I am a vibrational match to their soul and their consciousness. So I just find them again. And I go, well, did you die or an aspect of them doesn't die? So they often say a bit of them stayed on the astral plane. So that's the soul fragmentation. So they stayed on a level of consciousness or being that allows them to magnetically, like magnets, find these people again. And because my client hasn't resolved the issue or, or is naive, naivety is a big glue. People don't realize that naivety and, of course, the whole of society is brought up to be naive of these matters, you know, and then people are frightened that if you teach people about these matters, they'll be terrified, like, oh! and, and the truth of the truth of everything, as I'm sure you know, James, is, you know, if you tell people the truth, 
of the true nature of humanity, they can do something about it. You know, sending people into abject fear with no skills or gifts to do anything about it is terrifying for people. But if you teach people, don't be frightened. There is something you can do about everything. There is a solution that you may not have been uh, exposed to that knowledge to this point, but there is a solution that can help you, but you do have to be part of that solution in general. And as far as the spirits uh, that are doing the attaching is concerned, uh, how would you describe them? I, I imagine there's like myriad forms. Uh, can some be described as earthbound spirits? Can some be described as interdimensionals? Uh, please explain. Yeah, so over time I found, you know, you'd see beings, and and the reason I knew that some of them could be not human was I, I you know, when I had learned basic spirit releasement, I'd learned it from a guy who's passed away now, but it was the William Baldwin technique of dealing with entities. Um, but also because I'm very intuitive and over time I was using my intuition more than the textbook, I was just going with my intuition because when I would do the formula that they said, I would realize that the entities would lie or the client wouldn't be able to do these IMR movements necessarily accurately, or even when they were accurate, I would see the client's face change sometimes. And so I'd be like, there's an entity attached, even though they're signaling through an IMR movement that there isn't an entity attached, you know? I'm like, that's a lie. And so, or their voice would change, or their mannerism would change very slightly. And, and I'd be like, that's not my client's personality. And the other thing is with past life regression, I think a lot of people are, are thinking that they are accessing their client's past life, where in truth, they're accessing an entity's past life, not the client's past life. Because in truth, and I learned this while I was doing this work on TV, because then they started saying to me, while I was doing this work on television, you didn't used to do the spirit releasement in the beginning. I was like, I know. But the thing is, though, you would have some lifetimes where you said they weren't they weren't adding up this information was incorrect and of course it was incorrect because it was i remember one particular celebrity that i was regressing i was like that's not her past life when i saw the vt footage back i realized that this was her grandmother's past life and a part of her grandmother had attached to her and i hadn't done the spirit releasement to release the grandmother so we were seeing the grandmother's past life this is why the years that the grandmother was saying didn't add up so that's why I started doing the spirit releasement. So going back to what you're saying, yes, you can have little children attached and you'll see if they're, if they're children. And I, I kind of take the consciousness of you into the background. So you're in the background of yourself going, oh my God, what am I saying? So you can hear yourself going, what am I saying? What is, ooh, like, oh, hello. And, and the voice can change or the man or the personality changes. And, you know, sometimes the client will say, this isn't, this isn't me. Like, you know, so I'm interacting with both of them, which is a weird experience because I'm, they're going, this isn't me. I, the person I can feel, I can feel there's this other energy and it's not me, but it's angry with you and it doesn't want to speak to you. I'm like, it's okay, I'm used to this. And so I say, can I speak to you, the person who's angry? And they're like, yeah, what do you want? Yeah. You know, and they can get really, Bruh. and um, or they'll be really rude and they'll say, oh, I don't want to speak to you. And I go, well, that doesn't, no, no worries. I'll just ask you questions anyway. And they're like, oh, you think you're clever, don't you? And they get really you know, kind of quite aggressive. And I'm, and I'm saying to the client, don't don't worry because we're gonna process this because I know where it goes. So you're, you're helping the person. Or sometimes they're just cute little children and they don't know they died, they're lost. They don't know that they were in an accident or an illness. And then we work out they were in an accident or an illness. We work out what happened to them. Uh, we work out, you know, often you'll ask them, what year is it? And they're like very confidently 1782. 
And I'm like, I'm so sorry, but it's actually 2022 and you died. And they're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, this isn't your body. Sometimes they know it's not their body. They're like, yeah, I know. I've been attached to this person. Oh, I've been messing with them, messing with their life, messing things up. You know, so they, they are sometimes aware that they've been messing things up. Or if they're a child, you know, you ask them, well, why have you attached to this person? Well, does everybody seem nice? You know, the, the complexities of why and how are not formulaic. There's no like, this is the one reason why they attach. It's like, no, it can be a myriad of things. It can be a myriad of like, maybe my client felt a little bit lonely. And, you know, this was the reason why that this little child felt I could be their special little friend. Sometimes it's really cute why they've attached. And, the, and they are being their little friends and everything, but because they died, it's not really how it should be. And it's not really helpful because maybe they had an illness when they died or they're trying to influence my client's thoughts and beliefs. And then, you know, you're not really embodying your own soul energy. But in truth, I think most of, of humanity at some point have, you know, entities oscillating through them not just one but you know you can have truckloads of, of entities attached because then you can have entities attached to entities not to scare people in any way because you can really deal with this you know if if we were taught this it's like a form of um spiritual hygiene as many of us talk about if you were taught how to really embody this temple you know, your physical body and how to keep checking in with yourself, how to stay in integrity with your emotional self, you know, being aware that life is is challenging, it is complicated, and that we are wanting to a roller coaster of emotions, you know, things can happen to trigger you. And that that in itself is the gift that keeps giving, because if you can start observing your own emotional reactions to things that happen to you in life and you can't go oh I'm all spiritual now I'm going to pretend I'm not angry when in truth that searing raging anger is inside of you then you have got to do the inner work to get to the origin of why you get triggered so much into anger and digressing very slightly but to just show you the example of this um I have someone at the moment who is writing all kinds of untruths about me and other therapists in messenger to all kinds of people you know that we can't stop it because she has secret profiles and she's she's looking at people's names on facebook and then she sends them a message in messenger so we can't stop it because it's not our messenger it's not our facebook profile so by you seeing someone doing this, making outrageous claims, I mean, they're ridiculous claims, um, you know, that I'm killing people, all kinds of kinds of things, and that these other therapists are doing similar things. But we as therapists have all joined together, which has been a beautiful experience to see, you know, how can we help this person because she's she's beyond our help. We can't actually help her. She needs, you know real mainstream 3d help because she can't listen to any other spiritual teachers and they're all all joined together and it's the kindest ones that she's attacking so you get to think wow this person's writing all this stuff it takes up my time people send me the messages that she's sending we have to reply and say i hope you're not upset by what you've read there's nothing we can do to stop it you know we've told the police facebook haven't done anything and then you get to look at yourself you know these kinds of tests are good for you on your own spiritual journey because you you have compassion for her but also you have to observe, you know, am I getting annoyed by her? But eventually, because it's gone on for so many years, this isn't just going on that. It's been going on for years. And you just get to the point where you have to learn detachment. So on some level, maybe her craziness is allowing us as teachers to learn something about just detaching because without 
that experience of her doing that and the crazy people that come in through, you know, as you know, once you have a YouTube channel, you have social media, we're all being exposed to people who don't like what we say or it triggers something in them. But that's a gift for us. You know, this is the gift that we get to observe how we react to the crazy people and to allow that to just flow through you and out of you and not bother you because you know yourself you get to the point in your own spiritual journey that you know yourself enough to know that that it's not a truth and that you can't be bothered if if someone chooses to believe what they're saying it's their free will there's nothing you can do about it you can only know yourself know the truth of yourself know what your intention is and i think this is the key to everything even though i talked at tangents it's about knowing in your heart what your intention is for everything. Even if you made a mistake, if your intention was to do a good thing, then it doesn't really matter if it was a mistake because you go back to what was the intention? Even if somebody else received something in a different way, it wouldn't matter because your intention was to set to tell the truth. You know, and I think this applies to the entities. So the entities are attaching from often their perception of something. So it's complex, but it's not complicated. Also, I was wondering, and later I'd like you to talk about what it feels like when it seems like you're talking to an entity or some other interdimensional type being, but say you're working with a client and you manage to detach uh, said client of one or more entities, does there come a point in time when you actually feel the core essence of this person come through, stripped of all the interference, stripped of all the attachments? What does it feel like when it comes through? And, and what does it feel like for the person going through that experience? I would imagine it's something of an epiphany. Yeah, I think the thing is, over the years, what I learned, which was my own little technique, I realized is in how people were teaching spirit releasement, it was limited because unless you got back to the cohesion with my client, this is why you can't go to somebody to do past life regression, you can't go to somebody to do spirit releasement, you can't go to someone to do inner child healing or ancestral timeline healing. In my opinion and experience, if you're going to do those things, you need to go to somebody who can do all those things at the same time, if it's necessary. Because to get rid of the entity, many times we have to go back to the cohesion and the cohesion is emotion. So I have to go back within the client to the day they've attached. Now that might go back to the past life. It might go even off world into another planet or star system that's very rare that happens but um you're going back into a past life or you're going back into the story of the ancestor to clear it so you've got to clear that before you can often get rid of a deeply tugged in entity the, the ones that aren't so deeply emotionally connected they'll just go of their own volition it's just the really hardcore one because once you get to the hardcore one and that emotion all the others just fritter away it's the same with past lives if you can get to a core lifetime the core lifetime a lot of the other ones will just disappear because it's the same issue repeated time and time you know lifetime after lifetime the same thing you never dealt with so if you can deal with the first time in your cell memory, then you can release it. And so going back to your question of how does the person feel? Oh my God, they feel like, oh my God, I feel so amazing. My head feels clear. My body feels better. You know, it, it, many times their ailments or illnesses clear up because they weren't really theirs in the first place. And, you know, sometimes they talk about, you know, what percentage of control had that being had? Well, in that facet of your life, maybe no control. In this facet of your life, 10%, 20%, 90%. It, it, it's, 
it's so complex, but like I said, it's not complicated. So once they release them and like you said, get back to the origin of who they are. So depending on how much work they've got to do on themselves to get back to that, you know, authentic embodiment of them, tr their true soul self, which I take them to a place in my sessions, we go to this place where they connect with their own higher self, they connect with their own multidimensional benevolent beings who love them unconditionally through all timelines of existence. And they all describe in general a similar experience um, without me ever having talked about what that experience is of these beings that they might see that are benevolent beings. In general, they describe very similar beings uh, in how they describe the description of what these beings look like, which I won't say too much because I don't want to preempt people into how they think they're going to look. But I know from experience that they all describe them without any influence of having read it anywhere because or, or heard me say it because I've never said it. But they they all describe them to be very similar, which I know then is the purity of these are really beautiful beings. And, and the way that these benevolent beings speak and the love that they show to my clients is, is beyond anything they've ever experienced in this human existence in general you know they're like oh my god the love is just like and and this love is just pouring into them and if i can get them to this space and not everybody can go to this space just depends on where they're at um so we can work towards getting to that space but most people will get there um you know healings take place on a profound level outside of this realm of time so you know they then have this experience of these beings just helping them and then you know they're euphoric they're like oh my god nothing matters you know it's just a play none of it matters oh, you know and in that space you see which is the experiences I had in my awakening that you know nothing matters it's just just all a play um but then you do come back into the physicality of being human in a physical body having human experiences you know which takes a huge journey to evolve to the point where those human experiences don't upset you like they used to you know and then you can see other people once you become like a spiritual teacher i suppose you can you can see other people having experiences that you had and you have compassion because you used to react like they're still reacting and you used to be hurt by those experiences. But somehow your consciousness has evolved beyond being hurt by those experiences. Another thing that, that struck me uh, as, as you were describing uh, this process is the powerful emotion that you mentioned uh, it seems to be an anchor point through one or more timelines parallel lives incarnations even i don't want to like fall into generalities but do you see particular types of emotions and feelings uh predominate as far as having the lingering knock-on effect for example the, uh, what comes to my mind would be something like some unfinished business, something that you really, really wanted to do, compelled to do, express love for someone, but you never got that opportunity. It's something like that. And it just shows the parasitic nature of some of these entities. It was like, wow, that's a good one. I think I can latch onto that for a while. Um, in general, what seem to be the, the strongest emotions that seem to create this knock-on effect? It's not as straightforward as that because one emotion is born out of another emotion. So regret is a big emotion that humans have, regret. 
But regret is, is a byproduct of fear because you can only have regret if you had fear because you didn't say the truth because you felt fearful of telling your truth. And then you end up with regret because you felt fearful. <laughs> so they're all like interwoven. Like, I suppose I could give you the experience of you know, my own experience, my mum died last year. She'd had dementia for eight years. And in those eight years that she had dementia, I was very lucky that it was, although it was, you know, the, 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 the journey of dementia and I couldn't help her because she wasn't open to what I said. Um, you know, and I don't bear in mind, I've done this for 20 years. I've been on TV and still my parents aren't open to listening to any wisdom that I might have. You know, they have their own little journey and I'm just their daughter. I'm not, you know, they're not open to what I'm saying. Um, so that's their experience. But so so in her experience of manifesting dementia, um, it could have gone one of two ways. She could have become an angry, violent person, which is a lot of people with dementia go that way. But my mum became a cute little girl and I treated her as she was a cute little girl and she liked singing and cute things. And so in that experience, uh, she was way more open to me telling her I loved her, way more open to physical affection, that maybe she wasn't so much when I was a teenager. So in some ways it was a big healing journey. And so at the point when my mum finally did die, there was nothing left that I hadn't said or resolved. You know, I'd been doing the inner journey healing work on myself, you know, probably I'd read books on, on dysfunctional parents and stuff even before my big spiritual awakening I'd probably been exposed to some books about that you know I'd been working even when my mum was still sane on healing my inner child from childhood with my parents and it had been a big journey and I'd come up across this the same thing that a lot of people come across is you know when you try to talk about those things with a parent who's still of sane mind and you're saying you know this happened if they don't want to go back to that past they might deny your experience and say you're making it up that's not true and so you as a as, a, as the child think oh my god because then you start to doubt your own reality because here are here are these only people who witnesses of this event and they're denying it existed you know, where's that going to leave you now? So you need all these spiritual gifts to understand how to take your power back from your parents and from your childhood. You know, huge amounts of the work that I do is in a child healing because it's womb healing, it's in a child because, and, and I talk about this often, you know, giving your power away to a parent doesn't have to be a big dark dramatic event it can be something really really small and even the best of parents do this you know it's it's when your child ran off in the park and for 10 minutes you were horror stricken you didn't know where they were and so when they come back instead of going oh sweetheart I'm so glad you had a fun time running around but it might not be the best thing to do that's not what we say we go where the hell were you you know mummy's been so terrified and and then they, you know, some of them even slapped them. So now you're confused. She's telling you she loves you. You were having a fun time. You just having such a fun time in the park. You had no concept of even, you weren't even crying, going, where did mommy and daddy go? You know, you were just having a fun time. You come skipping back, having a fun time, and you get hit and shouted at. And you're so confused now between well, should I do what I want or do I make these people my primary caregivers, which is predominantly your parents for most people or your grandparents, do I make these people happy or do I do what I want? Now, bear in mind, these people are feeding you, clothing you and housing you. So you better suck it up and do what they want if you want to survive your childhood. And that's what most of us do. We give our power away to the primary carer because we're not that stupid. We realize we've got to survive this childhood. So then we survive the childhood. 
But then you get to be, you know, 20-ish and you start unpacking this stuff because now for a lot of people, you're earning your own money. You can run your own reality now. So now's when you start to reflect on your childhood of going, how has that childhood left me? Even if it wasn't mean and cruel, how has it left me? Am I an empowered being or am I, you know, Often in workshops that I run, you find people, you know, when you start knuckling them down, when they say, I hate my job, I hate this, da, 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 well, why are you doing this? Why, why are you doing this job? Why did you go to university and study whatever it was? Say so you st studied uh, journalism. I'm just thinking of a particular client now. And he's like, I don't want to be a journalist. I hate it. Why did you do it? Why did you study journalism? And you have to really break people down to find out, is this what you wanted to do? Or is it actually, did you do this because somebody who was a primary caregiver wanted this for you? Is it really who you are? Is this making you happy? Or is this a way to get approval and love from your parents? And for many people, they're just doing what they're doing to seek love and approval from their parents. Because sometimes making their parents happy they're not gonna get physical hugs and kisses. Maybe it's just the approval they're gonna get. And so if that's the only form of affection you're gonna get from these caregivers, then you've gotta do what you think will make them happy, but it's killing you. Yeah, that, that brought to mind a number of experiences I've had. It, it's amazing how something at the moment could be when you step back and look at it, it can seem relatively trivial but down the track how we how we hang on to certain things uh not getting the kind of response that we we crave from from a parent for example uh like let me just give you an example uh in the seventh grade i was in an art class and the assignment was we, we take these you remember the old-fashioned coca-cola bottles right you get the old-fashioned Coca-Cola bottles, and you, you get strips of masking tape, and then you you tape up the whole, uh, you cover the whole uh, Coca-Cola bottle, and then you get, I think it was like shoe polish and something else. You mix it with something else, and you create kind of like a varnish, and then you lightly, you know, paint the, uh, the bottle with all the masking tape over it. The effect you're supposed to get is it looks like an old school kind of leather kind of vessel, right? Well, I did that. I didn't do, a, do too good of a job of it, right? And, and I brought it home. And, uh, you know, my dad, bless him, uh, you know, he, he was very taciturn, very um, introverted, a man of few words, uh, career Navy guy, right? And so I, I left it out. And I was hoping he would notice it at some point and hoping, hoping to get a compliment, right? Instead, what he said was, I don't like the look of that. Get it out of here, right? Like some words to the effect like it was ugly or something, you know? And it hurt me so deeply. I even started wishing like bad things to happen to him, you know, because uh, I, that wasn't the response I was hoping for. I was hoping at least for like an A is an effort kind of thing. Right. But that's not what I got. And then years later, I forgot what it was that triggered that memory to come back where I didn't get that approval. You know, I mean, granted, I looked around the class. Everyone else's bottles looked a lot better than mine, but I gave it an effort. But it just wasn't good enough. And this just the deep hurt that I felt of all the times that I've been hurt. By, by family members, that was one of the times that hurt the most because even though it didn't come out looking like everyone else's, I put effort into it and I just didn't get the validation that I wanted. And then, uh, and then I forgot about it. It was like, it was so traumatic at the time that uh, like it dropped out of my conscious memory. Then years later, something came up that reminded me of that incident that all those feelings of inadequacy and, and, and resentment, they came bubbling back. And it was all because of this bottle that was supposed to look like a leather, a leather vessel, you know? So uh, 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's profound stuff you've been sharing, Andrea. Uh, well, we've come to the end of the of a fascinating first segment with our guest, Andrea. Folks, Andrea, could you tell Can people I just how say they could... something? Oh, oh, please, please. I just want to help you with that with that experience of what you shared because I think it'll help your listeners as well. What you said about your experience with your dad, okay, was really interesting because. By what you shared, you identified that you had in your mind, even as a child, the awareness that it was actually good enough for you. You, you, It was good enough for me. Your whole identity was not based on what your dad thought. There was a part of you that had enough self-autonomy to realize that it was good. Now, imagine your whole autonomy was based on what your dad thought. So you would have been like, my dad didn't approve. That's the end of it. I will never paint or draw again. But you uh, that was kind loved. of the feeling I had, actually, yes. But, but how you described it then, you said, you know, I thought it was okay. I, I James, had enough self-awareness to realize it was okay. You were crestfallen because you were mm. seeking identity and recognition of approval of you, your gifts from someone who doesn't know anything about art. But you, you expect this guy who doesn't know anything about art to now be a world critic, you know? <laughs> and without his approval of something he doesn't know anything about, you cannot proceed forward in that thing. Yes, that that <laughs> that is a key point. And you touched on it at the outset uh, about busting past fear and owning it and, and being confident and having belief. And, you know, one of my issues, one of my challenges in the past is because so many of us come from a, from a shame-based background is, you know, feeling worthy enough, feeling good enough. Uh, do I deserve to have a good outcome, right? Uh, I mean, I've, I've been told by colleagues uh, of mine that, uh, you know, I'm just not good at self-publishing and, and, and self-advertisement. I mean, I, my, my Scorpio dragon tendency, Andrea, is to be in the shadows. This is not what I would rather be doing. I'd rather be operating, you know, off to the side somewhere. But, you know, somebody has to do this kind of thing. So, I, you know, it, it's, I'm well past the comfort zone phase now. I'm comfortable doing this, but it's it's not something that I would, you know, normally be doing uh, because my tendency is not to pull in the limelight. You see what I mean? So it, it, I'm at times dealing at cross purposes where I need more exposure. I, I need to do certain things. I need to publicize myself more, but it goes against this innate desire. <clears throat> and I don't know if it's to do with like lack of worthiness or, or lingering residual shame-based issues. But, you know, my default tens tendency at times, Andrea, is to, you know, shun all that away and to, to kind of hide out, you know what I mean? So th that's been one of my challenges. And I wonder at times, because my dad was such an introvert, he was so taciturn, I wonder sometimes if, if that essence of him, and, and I love him till he's, he's since passed on. Uh, and I had to, you know, like yourself, I had to come to grips with a lot of unresolved issues and and all this other stuff in relation to my dad, and and I found out a lot of things about my dad, you know, you know that I wasn't aware of when he was alive, you know, of of good things, right? But you know, the point being is that in in this process of trying to understand my, my relationship with my dad, I, I learned more about myself, and you know these limitations real or perceived that I may have like established around myself. Right. So those are issues I have to bust through. So I really appreciate you, you talking about that at the outset. And the interesting thing is my dad also comes from a Navy background, but the, um, Oh, oh what's the, the, anyway, he worked in, um, it's got it's just gone a blank but he worked in the navy as a, a radio officer but he sounds very similar to your dad in a way but the difference i think that happened to me was there was a point 
where I realized, and I can remember being 18 years of age on a train to London, realizing I can't rely on these people. They're not actually correct. And my sense of self and worth and my skills and gifts cannot be based on what they think about me. I have to be in this sense of self, you know, and this journey, and I think this journey for all of us in a time of social media can either help you to raise up or take you down if you let it, because they will take you down, yes. you know, and, and, and it's hard to keep to keep going. And, you know, people think, oh, who does she think she is, you know, you know that, or get ideas above your station, which is the ancestral, you know, when you're stepping out of the ancestral background, you know, if your ancestral background from either of your families isn't to be doing something in a way that you're doing it now, you're upsetting the ancestral apple cart and they don't like that. You know, I remember when I was first on TV and I said to my mum, I'm going to be on TV talking about being psychic mum. She said, well, don't worry, the neighbours don't know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so you're not going to get approval. You're, you're not going to be, you know, my mum at the time still went to church. So she was terrified of how was her daughter going to be received by how would this affect her? Because they're always worrying about their yes. own. What will the neighbours think? How will I fit? Because they've not dealt with their low self-worth. And now we're somehow responsible for their self-worth. And, and somehow... You know, other people get involved in, I'm lucky I don't have siblings in that way to be, how is it going to affect my sibling's job? You know, by association of you being the brother or the sister, it gets very complex, these family dynamics. And, you know, everyone's trying to keep themselves down. And yes. I mean, yes. we need to push everybody up everybody's fabulous everyone's got skills and gifts but we need to heal these past lives we need to heal these inner child stuff we need to heal the womb trauma we need to heal the ancestral stuff we need to get rid of the klingons from the entities you know which could be into dimensional beings that haven't had a physical body there's so much to it and it's very complex like i keep saying that phrase oh someone's cutting the hedge <laughs> they just <laughs> might get really noisy so i think you wanted to go for a break so yeah, yeah. and um <laughs> what's your website andrea oh my website is if anyone wants to look up my work is andreafouts.com so it's a n d r e a f o u l k e s and if they subscribe to my website they get two which the thing i would leave people with is the key to all of this i think is guided meditation going inside yourself even before you join a development group if you just start downloading some guided meditations i have a free one that's an earth peace meditation when they sign up to subscribe um and then there's some paid there's just a few but the more than meditation one is taking you through your chakras taking into your emotional self i really think that guided meditation is the gift that keeps giving and then i have a youtube channel as well which is andrea Fouts past life regression soul freedom i think it's soul freedom awakening and um to our dear listeners out there um we've reached the end of the first segment with our guest andrea folks if you like what we do, if you believe in what we do, please go to thecosmicswitchboard.com, sign up and become a member, and we'll see you at the top of the next segment. 